In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Welcome back to Underdog. I'm your host, Pamela Barty. And today I'm super excited to introduce my next guest to you, Semi. Semi is a trailblazer and an entrepreneur at heart. Semi was born in the chaotic streets of Albania and came to the United States from Greece at a young age. By the time he was 15 years old, he was playing soccer for the New England Revolution. After a few years of playing soccer, he tore his ACL and had to pause his soccer career. Soon after, he started a business with partners exporting gold from Africa and eventually went on to grow the company and sell it to a Canadian company for significant profit. After that venture, Semi went into the financial advising world. Semi is currently a passionate million-dollar roundtable financial advisor helping his clients through financial, investment, life insurance, and retirement strategies. Today, we welcome Semi. I have a super special guest here with me today, Semi, and I'm going to allow him to introduce himself. Thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> hello, everybody. My name is Semi. And Pammy, thank you so much for having me. My I pleasure. appreciate you listening to my story and thinking it's good enough to be on the show. Oh my gosh. I, I appreciate oh, I that. I love your story. Appreciate that. Can't wait. Can't wait to share it. So thank you. speaking about your journey, yeah. sort of tell us from day one, when did you, because I know you came from Albania. Yeah. So we obviously got that Albanian vibe sure, going. Sure, sure, so sure. that's a bias. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, share your story a little bit and sort of everything you've been through to date in a nutshell shall we sure say? so i was born in albania right but when i was the week that i was born was the week that the old government was being overthrown in my city actually so uh, as you can imagine i was born when there were riots there were fires there were people clashing with the police in the city that i was born in and being an only child my parents said we don't want semi to grow up in such civil unrest mm -hmm. so they thought it'd be a good idea that they escape and then they go to Greece. So I was actually born in Albania, but less than a year after I was born, my family actually moved to Greece. They first moved to Athens, where they stayed for one year, and then I had a couple of aunts and uncles that had settled on an island in Greece called Paros Island. Oh. So they said, you know what? I feel like we can start a new life and really build something on an island. So when I was two years old, I got to experience the journey of traveling from Albania to Greece and then from there to the actual island in the Aegean. So lived on the island. Uh, we were there for about 11 years. And the things I remember, obviously there's pictures too, but the things I remember from my life there is we'd literally finished school, my friends. And our school was actually located on like the top of a hill. Mm. And if you looked from the school all around the hill, you could actually see all the different beaches that were around the island, which is super cool. So we'd jump the fence after school <laughs> and we'd run all the way down to the beach. And all we did for probably seven or eight hours straight was just play soccer on the beach, 
talk to tourists, which is where I actually learned how to speak English. Oh, wow. From that and from movies. <laughs> and again, play soccer. Right, right. Go fishing and play soccer some more. <laughs> so all we did was play <laughs> soccer and be on the beach. And then get home late night, do some homework and sleep and do it all over again. So fast forward to 11 years later, I was at the time 12 years old. My parents decided, you know what, they saw that I was doing really well in school and I was surpassing a lot of the other kids and I was actually doing really well in soccer too. So they thought, I don't know if the island is going to be able to provide everything that I need to really grow both as a student, as a business person or at soccer either. So they thought that would be a good idea that they move to the United States. Now here's, I feel like my dad's story of how he came here needs like a whole show on its own or like a whole book on its own. But I'll give you a little bit of the background. So my dad was actually a writer in Albania. He's got a lot of different books published, which is super cool. Cause uh, I remember one time I posted on Facebook and there are all these people from my friends list that were like, wait, I read those kids. Uh, I read those books to my kids. That's crazy. So my dad wrote those. And so he wrote also for different newspapers. He wrote for the government, I guess the government. He was like a really good reporter in some ways. So he left Greece, and I'll tell you why that's important in a little bit. So he left Greece and decided to take a plane from there to Brazil. There he was caught and he was put in jail for a week. Got out, they didn't deport him. He moved up, went to Mexico, got stopped, got put in jail for another week. Then he entered the United States through New Mexico. He got stopped, got put in jail. And then he came out, found a lawyer, found an attorney, declared for political refugee, and that's it. They granted him. They said, we can see the writings you've done. It makes sense. So he brought me and my mom over. So I came here when I was 12 years old. And that's kind of where my story in the United States began. So this is kind of where my life enters into a new chapter in a way. So, so when I first came here, I spoke English fairly well, but it was kind of hard to make friends in the beginning because when I first came here, my mom got actually diagnosed with leukemia. So I remember going to school and then after school, dad picking me up and having to go to Mass General Hospital, see mom. So I didn't really get a chance to really connect with any students, especially outside of school or after school. The only thing that I had other than school and you know going to see my mom was soccer. And thank God for that. I was pretty good at it. So right, <laughs> when right. I first came, I started playing, I think it was like little kickers or like those travel teams yeah, that they yeah, have yeah. at different towns. And in the beginning, most of those games would finish like, you know, like 2-1, 3-1, 4-1. And then when I joined the team, I think we were beating teams like 14 to 1 or like 12 to nothing or something <laughs> like that. And I think I had like eight or nine goals wow. at the time. So, per game. Uh, per game, yeah. Whoa. So everybody was telling my dad, you know what? you should sign him up for something more competitive. So dad signed me up for the Revs Academy, New England Revolution. So I joined the academy when I was 13, played there for a couple of years, and then I actually got put on the team when I was 15, which was cool. Didn't start any games, <laughs> but I got to practice with some of the bigger guys. It was cool because back then, you know, I was like 5'3", 100, and like, 20 pounds, so I was pretty small, <laughs> small yeah. I was super quick. <laughs> oh my so no matter what, like I always, you always saw me running around the field everywhere. Played there and then uh, when I turned 18, the coach thought that'd be a good idea that I get bigger and stronger, go to college, play, get my degree and come back and reach out for the team. 
if I still have the skills. So I ended up playing freshman year. Fortunately, halfway through my freshman year, I tore my ACL on my knee. Came back sophomore year, same knee, retore ACL and meniscus. So that was, in a way, and I always I think back to this, and I'm like, wow, if that had never happened, that wouldn't be where I am now. Like, my life would have been completely different. You and I might never have met. Right. Like, who knows where I would have been. Right. Could be playing in a different country, too, so we never would have met. But one thing that I did have is was my studies. So I got super sad, super depressed about losing soccer. Right, right. Because that was your outlet. That was yeah. my outlet. Yeah. And like the only two, I guess, I was a kid that liked every sport. Like in gym right, class, right, right. I got picked to play every sport. I was just always athletic. Yeah. But my two like loves that I always liked doing was soccer and also was like MMA. I like doing mixed martial arts, some wrestling, some punching, some kicking. But unfortunately, I couldn't do either of those with a, with a knee surgery. Right. So I got super sad, super depressed. But thankfully, I kind of fell back on my studies. Mm. So I graduated college with like a 3.94, did pretty well in school. And uh, being from like strict Albanian parents, right. they basically said, no pressure, but you got to go to Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> there <laughs> is no child. other alternative. <laughs> That's it. We, we went through all these uh, things to get you to the United States. Right. You're an only child. <laughs> we right, right. went through all these hardships. You got to go to Harvard. There's no other alternative. So, so I applied for grad school at Harvard and I actually ended up getting waitlisted. So I said, while I'm here for the summer, I might as well do like a summer business program. So I did like a, it's like a mix of international relations. Um, and that's where I met two guys one time in class, sitting in class. We just happened to be sitting next to each other. We we're talking about the studies and we decided after class, we should go have some Chinese food. Cool. Harvard Square. I love Harvard Square. I've been going there since I was a young kid before I could drink or go into any bars. <laughs> it was just a thing to do. Right, right. When I was like 16, we just walk around Harvard Square. <laughs> like see the kids that went to Harvard. <laughs> Be dreaming that one day maybe we'll go to Harvard. And as we're going to the restaurant, one of my two friends decided to take some money out of the ATM. So we went to the ATM and this is exactly the story of the last business, which is like, it's so like, it almost came out of nothing that like, I feel like it's important to show people that yes. sometimes an idea can be born from nothing. From nothing. Absolutely. This wasn't nothing in a way because we went to, for him to grab money out of the ATM <laughs> and he clicked summary of his checking account right. and there was like five and a half million there. So I was like, where'd you find all this money? <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> both of their fathers, uh, very wealthy businessmen in China. One had a travel agency since like the 70s. One did imports and exports of jade. So like they had big, wow. big businesses. So he basically said his dad sends him money every month to make sure that he's okay. Lots of money. So <laughs> Five and a half million dollars. Yeah, that's it. Just, nothing. Just to make sure he's okay. <laughs> so um, we're sitting eating dinner. And I was like, guys, what are we doing? We have all this money. You're not going to use all the money for school. Like that's, I know Harvard's expensive, but like it's not that expensive. Uh, we should start a business. So we started throwing out ideas. They had all different types of ideas. We wanted to do frozen yogurt. They wanted to do Korean barbecue. They wanted to do all these different things. And I'm thinking if we're going to really make it and really have a lasting business and legacy, we need to think outside of the box. 
By a stroke of luck, a couple days later, one of his father's ex-business partner was doing some work in Ghana, Africa, of all places. He was dealing with precious stones. So he was exporting rubies, diamonds, all different types of stones. And he said, you know what? I have a lot of the relationships, a lot of the connections here. If you guys come here and you have the money, I can show you guys how to get into the gold business. Now, I never thought at such a young age I'd be visiting Africa. I always dreamed of traveling the world, but more as a tourist, not so much as a business person. But we decided, you know what? We're going to Ghana. So we went to Ghana. You just went to Ghana just to to learn about gold. We got tickets. Uh, (laughs) The guy seemed very sure of himself. So sometimes, (laughs) listen, sometimes confidence sells. It does. (laughs) We're like, if this guy believes it, it's got to be true. So so we went to Accra, um, Ghana, and... uh, That's where we met the guy and he told us kind of how the business works. So there's two ways that you can make money. One way that you can make a little bit of money and one way that you can make a lot of money. But in order to get to the way that you make a lot of money, you first have to go through the way of making a little bit of money. So what we're doing in the beginning is we were buying gold from actual gold shops there. And they're selling it for like 5% off market price that you'd get it here. We'd get that gold, we'd bring it here, and we'd sell it to different refineries, one in Dallas, one in New York, for 2% off market price. So in the beginning, we're making like 3% on each shipment, probably losing another 1% from travel costs and security at the airport and so on and so forth. And then we learned how things really work there. So in Ghana, in order to get into the gold business, you buy what's called a concession. So it's like a piece of land, um, and you almost, in a way, lease it from the government. So the government allows you to work that land, but you need to have your own workforce. You got to find your own guys to hire. You need to have your own equipment, so on, so forth. And so at the peak, uh, to give you the short version, at the peak, we're getting the gold there for about 12% off market price, bringing it here and selling it for 2% off. So we're making 10% on each shipment, which was great. Wow. Was so you went from three to 10. That's like, it. Whoa. Uh, and like, Just by logistics. Yeah. And like wow. five, five months worth of like wow. relationships. I mean, once you took out like international shipping license and all different stamps that we had to get because yeah. companies here, funny enough, there's something brand new that I learned when I got into business. Companies here did not accept gold from places like Africa. A lot of the either the gold shops or a lot of the refineries here, yeah. they didn't accept gold from Africa, even if it had all the stamps and it was 100% legal, due to humanitarian reasons of there's nothing to prove that there was no child labor, in a way. So for us to be able to get into these refineries, we actually had to have all these different meetings with different refineries in Dallas, Texas, where we sat down with them and we're like, no, we're legit guys, like we have the names of everybody working for us. Nobody is underage. So finally, we're able to get in and become friends with a lot of different refineries. Fast forward to two years and eight months later, since we started the business, there's a company from Canada that had sent two of their reps to see if they could get into the gold business in Ghana. Mm. We met with the guys and they went back to Canada and then they came back two weeks later And they decided, you know what, we want to work with you guys. But to be honest, we want pretty much your equipment and we want the guys that work for you guys and we want you guys to stay on the board as consultants. So in a way, they wanted to buy our company. Right, right, right. So at the time, out of the three partners, I was all about, guys, this is like our business, like this, our legacy, this is going to be for our parents, our kids, our grandkids, like we have to grow this. My partners were kind of like, eh, 
kind of want to go back to China, take over my parents' business. And I kind of want to go to Northeastern now. I don't want to, I no longer want to try to go to Harvard. <laughs> just want to get my master's and go back to China. So, and I wasn't going to be able to do this alone, just right. the logistics, like too many things to do. And I have to do the travels all by myself. So I couldn't do it by myself. So against my judgment, we end up selling the company. Mm -hmm. Silver lining, when we first got into the business, they invested all the money. I didn't have any to invest. <laughs> but when we sold the company, we actually split it equally three ways. So I came out, I guess, a little bit better in the end. They had at the time broken even already, so like they didn't lose any money. But I did come out a little bit better in the end because I had invested the least. Probably the most time because right. I spoke the best English, so I had to be the one to create the contracts yeah. with an attorney. But I came out a little bit better in the end. So that was like the first business that I kind of got into and sold. So I got to learn from the inside what it's like to have a business, what it's like to grow a business, what it's like to have to worry and have a sleepless night of, are you going to be able to make payroll? Your guys have worked all week. Is there going to be enough money at the end of the week for, them to, for you to pay them and for them to be able to bring it back to their family? So I got to live all the high times and all the really low times of having a business. So after selling the business, I needed a little bit of a break. So one of my, you know, I was still, I was 25 when we sold the business, just turned 25. You know, I always had these little dreams that like any 25 year old, I guess, would have of like owning a red Mustang, mm -hmm. which was one of the dreams that I had. Bought it, drove it through the winter here. I was like, never buying this car again. <laughs> so, so I sold it after a year. You're uh, like, that was fun. We're good. That was good, yeah. Uh, I'm not doing that again. Got stuck probably about 12 times in the snow. Oh my God. Never doing that again. But I did pay off my parents' house, which was a big dream of mine. Wow. They, they had a house in Watertown, Mass. And a lot of the money from the sale ended up going towards paying off their whole mortgage. So that was one of the good things that came. The other dream that I had was I really wanted, I was born in Europe, but I never got to travel around Europe besides mm -hmm. Greece and Albania. Right. So I really wanted to do like a big Europe trip. So some more than I should have, probably a lot of the money went towards that travel. So I was gone for about six months. So I did like a big Europe trip. So I went from here, Spain, France, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, Prague, Rome and England. So like I did a big like upside down new one. Wow. England too. Came back after five and a half, six months and decided to go back into the workforce. So one of the things that really stood out at me, especially for my own family and also the people and the cultures that I met overseas, is that I thought that there was a big need for financial education, both in the Albanian Greek community, but especially in the international community. Right. Uh, there's not enough classes in school here right. to really, you know, take people to the next level when it comes to their business knowledge. Right. But there is something called business class and same thing in college. There's finance classes. Right. Very different in Greece and Albania. Uh, if you think that there's not enough financial education here, triple that and that's how it is overseas for a lot of different people, a lot of different countries. So I saw that there was a big need for financial education in the international community. So I thought that what I wanted to do is combine my business knowledge where I could work with business owners because I got to experience what it's like running a business, but also be able to help people and educate them when it came to finances. So I decided that my career 
was going to be for me to become a financial advisor. So applied at a lot of different firms, got a lot of different callbacks, a bunch of different job offers. What I didn't want to do is a lot of the companies just did specifically wealth management. In a way, to put it bluntly, I didn't only want to work with rich people. <laughs> right, right, right. I didn't only want to work with people that had a lot of money. Right. And I also didn't just want to be behind a computer doing analysis of different funds and stocks. And it didn't sound fun to me. But what did sound very interesting to me and fulfilling in a way is, one, being able to teach people and really explain to them how things work in the United States, how retirement plans work, how taxes work, how this works, how you combine real estate. And also be able to make a name for myself as the go-to person in the community for if somebody has any questions about anything financial, taxes, please go to Sammy because he usually replies back right away. So that's it for part A of my interview with Sammy. Stay tuned for part B. 